Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finawa of Tafanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. <sighs> Hello, beautiful Jen. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. How are you? I am good. It has been a good week. Whoop. I am feeling very confident and happy. And Excellent. I have officially booked my flights to come and visit you, so I am really excited about that. Yay, I know, I'm so looking forward to it. Next month. Whoop whoop. I know. It's like twenty it's like twenty days or something. It's less than twenty days now. I know, yeah, it's less than it's not even a month, right? Yeah. Because it's the twenty seventh day and you'll be here. You will have gone and been and gone by to the 27th next month. So, yeah. That's true. I know. It's very quick. Very exciting. Can't believe I'm going. I'm so excited. And you made the cutest thing for me, which is the gentenary. And I, I love it. And I just <laughs> want to, like, print it out and frame it because it made me so happy that, like, a second after I was done, you're like, I've written an itinerary. And we're calling it the gentenary. And I'm like, I feel so loved. The thing is, like, I'm not, I, I'm a very kind of chill person. Like, I like to just go with the flow of the day. But I think it's important to have some sort of structure so you can refer to it. Like, I don't like when you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, what are we going to do today? No, I want some thoughts. And then if I feel like, oh, we're not going to actually do that today, that's fine. But just having options is good. Yes. Veto power. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I am always a go and visit someone so that they can take me places they love kind of person. Mm -hmm. But there was this one time when Simon and I went to San Francisco and... I was like, oh, it's great. We're going to see an old friend of mine. And then we'll just like wander around the next day. And at 730 the next day, he woke me up sitting on the edge of the hotel bed, fully dressed and said, okay, I didn't know what to do. So I wrote up a plan because he is also an itinerary person. And I did not realize this. So he had made a list and it cracked me up because here I am in my pajamas like, what? Huh? And he's got this full, like, we're going to Ghirardelli Square. We're going to go to this place. We're going to go to that place. We're going to eat at this restaurant your friend suggested. Mind blown. Had no idea. This was even before we were married. So this was like, you know, our first traveling together type thing. Anyway, I have learned. Let people make their itineraries and go with them. Cute. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. And because, like, yeah, I want to take you to all the places. So I wanted to make sure that we could fit it all in. So I'm like, let's just write it down and see, you know, maybe we can coordinate some on the same time if we're on the same side of the city. And you know your way around. I have no idea. I'm just like, coffee, donuts, gen time, twilight. That's, you know, that was the entirety of my. (laughs) Yeah. And they're very top heavy days. So there'll be a lot of just vegging around. So. Yes. My favorite. I am bringing all my leggings. What sparked joy for you this week? Um, so I maybe, perhaps, sort of, have uh, purchased a house. Ah, so excited! A friend of mine and I decided to buy a house together. We decided last year, but the housing market has been so horrendous mm. that we sort of didn't bother to look into it too much. But now with the market turning, we started looking for houses maybe three weeks ago. We started going to open homes. Put in an offer a couple of weeks ago, wasn't accepted, a house we really loved. We kept going to open homes, saw one on this Sunday just passed that we really liked. Put in an offer this week, had a back and forth, and they've accepted said offer. Yay. So, yeah, we're just in the process now of doing all the very, very adult things, like dealing with the lawyers and the surveyors and the valuers and the building report people. 
mortgage advisors are a veritable army of people who know more than we do to just do their due diligence. Yeah, and then we'll see how that goes. And if all goes well, the offer will go unconditional next week. And then, yeah, I guess we're as good as done. This is so exciting. I keep wanting to text you homeowner memes, but I don't know if there are any homeowner memes. Maybe too soon. Maybe hold off a little bit. Okay, I won't jinx you, but I'm just so excited. Thank you. One of my favorite things in the world is the fact that we own our house. Like, we don't own it. Own it. The bank mostly owns it still. But we bought a house a decade ago, and we got in at a really good time as well. And I just, like, something really nice about being like, eh, I'm not really feeling the color of these walls. I'll just take a weekend and paint them. And you don't have to answer to anybody. If I want to hang something up, I don't have to tell anyone about it. Honestly, I've never been particularly fussed about the idea of home ownership. And I think... The only reason I'm doing it is one, I want a dog and it's almost impossible to get a rental in Wellington that allows you to have a dog. But also yeah. the fact that I can't put anything really up. You have to have permission yeah. to hang anything. I can't paint and I hate, like, I just abhor these beige walls that every rental ever has and you can't do anything about it. Like, mm. if I lived in a country like Germany where, you know, you have rights as a renter, you've got 30-year leases, you were allowed to paint, you are allowed to actually live in the house... But often with rentals, it feels like you're just a glorified Airbnb person. You know, you're like, you're not allowed to do anything in the house. They get really upset if you like put a mark on the wall. But I live here. So yes, I'm going to put marks on the wall. Like, you know, it's it's really difficult. So the idea that we could have our own place and we can paint the walls and, you know, we're going to make the kitchen black and we've got all these ideas. It's going to be like witchy, gothy vibes. And it's really exciting to be able to even just think about it. We're not thinking about it too much because we don't want to jinx it. Yeah, But we're sort of thinking about it. That is so exciting, though. And I, yeah, I think one of the most fun things is just being able to go in and like, yeah, just paint all your kitchen cabinets. They're yours now. No one cares. And just buy all the fun handles that you want for everything. That'll, that, mm. That's like maybe 100 or $200 and you've already got a whole new like thing. It's great. It's great. And it's so much fun. This is like, I love this. This is my jam. I don't know if I've actually talked about it on the pod, but my feelings about grand designs are well known and <laughs> I can't wait to see what you're yep. doing. I, oh, I'm just so excited for you. That's great though, because like my friend that I'm buying with, she really, she's into renos and she wants to do all these things and build all these things. And I am fine with building things in theory, but it's not my jam, but I love Mm. decorating. So, and she's not really that into decorating. So we've like split the jobs being like, you do whatever you want, break down whatever you want. And I will just decorate. That is the role of division, which is perfect. Yeah. That is great. What sparked joy for you this week? I had a moment of reckoning while I was standing at the sink the other day, and I realized that I have been doing the dishes for every family that I have been a part of since I was eight years old, which means that I've been doing the dishes for 30 years. And I was looking at my hands, and I was just thinking of how tired I am of doing the bloody dishes. So I retired. I'm no longer doing the dishes. I feel like 30 years of doing the dishes for a family of six and then seven and now a family of four is enough. And I don't think that I'm being too unreasonable because my husband grew up in a household where they always had a dishwasher and I was Mm -hmm. the dishwasher growing up. So I feel like it's okay for me to say, you know what? It's your turn. You can do them for the next 30 years and then we'll, we'll review. I mean, it probably won't be 30 years, but I'm just, it's no longer my responsibility. And I'm very proud of myself. And it's also been really hard to not just clean automatically, but I'm not doing the dishes anymore. Yay. Good work. (sighs) Yeah, it was a hard one, but I thought, you know what? I I feel like 30 years is enough time. It's as long as most people work, right? That's amazing. Like, yeah, I I often joke about the fact that I've got a dishwasher in my place. If I didn't have one, I wouldn't cook. I'm like, I am not washing dishes. I'm sorry, I'm just not doing it. So the fact that you've been doing it for 30 years is incredible. I was trying to figure out why I was struggling so much to cook. I don't like cooking and doing the dishes. You have to clean. Yeah, absolutely. 
if I could just cook and then I'm happy to clean the pots and pans as I go because that's how I that's just how I roll but not mm -hmm. do all of the cleaning up afterward and just have the kitchen be clean when I get into it to cook that would be perfect that is exactly what I want out of my life someone else doing the maintenance so that I can actually make the meals because I would cook every night I think if I didn't have the whole like if I didn't have to walk in and clean up all day's kitchen mess I would be like yeah much much happier to cook so hopefully this retirement will be long lasting and enjoyable and I will be able to focus on other things like not cleaning the kitchen amazing that is excellent boundary setting as well I am proud of you thank you it was a long time coming and I can't believe I didn't come to it sooner well this week we're reading chapters 25 through 29 through the theme of transformation and we've had some nice big transformations ourselves this week which is great do you have a story for us in the theme of transformation Jen I do it's interesting because, again, I was struggling for a story. Transformation seems like such a big thing. Mm. And I think it's because I think of it in terms of absolutes. Like, when you think of transformation, I'm thinking, you know, the queer eye reveal when they get home at the end of the week and they see what an amazing job Bobby's done to their house, mm. right? Like, that is the transformation. Or or the She-Ra transformation. Or even, yes. like, I was thinking of um, Anne Hathaway and the Princess Bride, you know, when they take the pictures away and yeah. she's like, sleek hair and... <laughs> So you think of transformation as the end result. And then yeah. today I went to see my hairdresser. So I walked into my salon and I was like, we're going to do this thing. And he was like, great. It was interesting because I had arrived and I texted him beforehand so I could get him a coffee on the way and a biscuit. And so like, I just swanned in there. He was seeing another client and I just dumped the stuff on his section and then I wandered back to go wait for him. And just very at home in the salon and then waiting for him. There was no umming and eyeing about what I wanted to do with my hair. Like, I was getting it cut quite short. Like, my hair wasn't particularly long, but it was longer than it, you know, it was, like, just mm. beyond chin length. And I was just like, nah, I'm done. We're going to cut it all off. So we went really short. And I was sitting there thinking about this situation while he was cutting my, my hair and how easy it was, how I, there was no self-doubt, there was no self-awareness as I was doing it. Like, not, like, in a bad way that I'm saying I don't have self-awareness, but in a way where mm. I'm, like, anxiety self-awareness, where I'm, like, overly aware of my body and a space and where people are seeing me and how I'm being perceived, you know, that yeah. kind of self-awareness. And I thought back to the first time I went to see my hairdresser, who is Ben at Jam, should you ever require a hairdresser in Wellington, he is amazing. My friend Meredith recommended Ben to me, must have been 2016 or 2015. And I was so awkward when I went. I was like, I had bought a t-shirt specifically to wear to this event because Meredith was like, Ben is really judgy and like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he can be really mean. And I'm like, oh, I need this guy to like me. Like, if he's going to be my hairdresser, I need him to like, not, not yeah. think I'm an idiot. So it was like a whole palaver. And I was so anxious about it and so awkward about it. And it was a whole production. And I used to spend like two two and a half, three hours with Ben because I used to dye my hair as well. And now it's just an hour long visit, but there's none of that. And I think that's what made me think of transformation because transformation is not the moment of recognition. It's not the moment when you go, oh, look, I've suddenly, look, my house is suddenly pretty or my hair is suddenly straight. It's actually a long process of discovery and change. So I've spoken on this podcast before about going to therapy in 2020 for trauma and other related things. But that's really what was the spark of transformation for me because it's changed the way that I live my life. It's changed the way that I see myself. Yeah. And it's because of those changes and that those habits that I've instilled as a result of that that I could have a moment like today where I was just like not awkward, didn't even think about it, where I'm not second guessing myself, where I trust myself implicitly. But that didn't happen overnight and transformation isn't a thing that happens overnight. And I think people often think that this is why people struggle with fitness, right? Because you yeah. think, oh, I've been for a run. Why am I not suddenly 
a goddess? Why do I not suddenly have a six pack? <laughs> like, why am I not Jillian Michaels? I've been doing this for two weeks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Transformation takes time and it takes work and it takes really sitting with yourself. But I think it's incredibly valuable at the end. And that's when you realize that you've actually really made a change and you've actually transformed your life. I love it. And your hair is amazing. It is so good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let the record reflect. Deeply love that cut. There's nothing better than just getting rid of all of your hair when you're like, okay, it has to go. It's interesting because we had a big chat about it as well. Like I have had my hair this short before, so it's not like the first time I've done it. But it's weird how you, I was just sitting there thinking, why am I trying to grow my hair out? Who is that for? Do I want long hair? No, I don't like putting mm. my hair up all the time. When it's long, that's all that I do. So why do I try to grow it out? Like, what is the goal? I really like it when it's short. I like the way it looks. I think it suits my hair. So why do I feel the need to compel myself to grow it out? Like, why? Mm. Why? It doesn't make sense. Just cut it off. So that's what I did. It looks great. So yeah, I just think transformation. It's a long, ongoing process. It's not a moment where you go from one to the other. It's a journey. Yeah, I love that. I think we often think of the epiphany at the end as the transformation moment. But you're right. It is the whole entire process, isn't it? Because if you don't have the process, then the epiphany won't stick. Like, if you just have a transformation that's just a reveal, and I think you see this a lot with um, makeover shows, like, or weight loss shows or things yeah. like that. People will go on these shows, they'll have these amazing transformations, but then in three months, they're back to exactly where they were before. Yeah, yeah. Especially with shows like Hoarders or things like that. Because you're not changing the behavior. You're not helping those people with the underlying issues that lead to that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So if you yeah, don't yeah. fix that... If you don't help them with that, then the result will always be the same. The transformation won't stick. Yeah, that's for sure true. I wanted to be a runner for a really long time, and it was always motivated around like looking a certain way. And when I finally was like, no, I actually just want to run a certain distance, that's when I was able to like really stick with it and get good enough at running distances that I could do it. But I really had to change my, I guess, goal in that way so that the transformation mm. was something I could follow. But you're right. Sometimes you just really have to be happy with yourself before you can do that because I had not done any of the work in all of my prior attempts to take up running. I hadn't done any of that work around just like accepting myself as being a human with a body and that's just how it is. Yeah, my therapist would say that, you know, you have to interrogate why you're doing the thing. Like, what is the motivation? Because if the motivation is not aligned with what you actually believe of who you want to be, then it's never going to work because it's not aligned with what you want. If I, for example, wanted to take up running because I wanted to be a long distance runner or like a marathon runner, that's never going to work because I don't actually want that. Yeah. That's an idea that I've decided to put in my own head, you know? That's not actually the real crux of the matter. Like, what are you trying to fix by doing this thing? What is the point? Itchy brain. <laughs> yeah, same. Like, exactly. <laughs> I feel better. It gets all the hairballs out. <laughs> it makes your brain so much... I hate saying it. I hate it. I hate it so much. Exercise actually works. And it's so annoying. But knowing that also, because now I can go half an hour is all I need. I just need to run for mm. 20 minutes to 30 minutes and I'll feel better. Like, it'll yep. help my mental health. It's not about doing 5Ks. It's not about doing as fast as I can or anything like that. It's literally just... I just need to do exercise for 20 to 30 minutes. That's it. Yeah, like that's actually not that much. But when you start getting in your head about, oh, I want to look a certain way, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, then it it's like, oh, you have big. to be in the gym. Yeah, and you have to be in the gym for two hours a day. No one yeah. wants that. <laughs> no one. <laughs> Unless you're a celebrity and it's your job to look a certain way, it's yeah, you don't have to be like that. I think some of the best advice I ever got was from my psychiatrist but she said with people who have ADHD but I think this applies to a lot of people just leave your house walk for 15 minutes turn around and walk back and that's all you need she's like just try and do that every day and that will be enough and it was such a revolutionary concept that I could just literally walk for 15 minutes and then turn around and walk back I'm like that's nothing 
I spend that much time scrolling on my phone, loathing myself for not getting out of bed. Yeah. A transformation is a series of little decisions that add up over time. Yeah, I love that. That's very true. I'd agree. Uh, should I read the chapter summaries? Yes, please. All right, so Anna is surprised and dismayed to discover that Toph and Bridget are dating. She and Bridget have a massive fight. Matt, her ex, gets her out of there and clears the air, and Anna retreats at home to stew over her terrible best friend. Her dad is spending Christmas with them, which isn't helping any as he is being inexplicably awful. The one bright spot is her friendship with Sinclair, which is transforming into something really good with every email and phone call. Cute. I loved the emails. I love that they had this back and forth, and I love that they had a couple of really big phone calls. And I loved her observation when she said, it, it shouldn't surprise me now looking back that like when Toph and I were separated, our communications fizzled out. But now that St. Clair and I aren't with each other, we're speaking every day. Let's just talk about Toph for a second, because mm. I remember back when she first introduced him to us as readers, she yeah. talked about how he's always slacking off and people don't really like think he, he doesn't pull his weight. And we were both like, oh, he's totally... I believe you called him a dropkick. You said he is a dropkick. And that is just reaffirmed in this by Matt, MVP Matt, who is just like, he's not a nice guy. And even the other um, employee at the cinema who follows her into the bathroom to be like, oh, he's just not a nice guy, basically. Everyone tells you that he's not a nice guy. And Matt says, I don't know what you saw in him. And like, yes, good, good, good. He's hot. That's it. That's what she saw in him. But also, when you're 17 and you are fairly confident and comfortable in who you are, then having crushes on dirtbags is totally normal. Yeah, we've all been there. I love that. And I'm going to go into this in my in-depth, but I really love that Matt like actually stopped her and was like, we're going to take the time to talk about this. You need to hear about this. You need to listen. Um, and he makes a point to say, you know, yeah, I knew you liked him and it wasn't cool, but I got over it. Like, we're still friends. I want us to be friends. Please talk to me because we're friends. And then also Bridget shouldn't have hidden that from you. She really should have told you. So like you said, yeah, Matt's definitely the MVP. I was feeling a lot of like, oh, he's a really good egg. Yeah, I think it's interesting because part of me thinks that Anna is overreacting. Oh, super she is. You are being way too dramatic for what is actually the occasion here. But then I thought about how it's actually about the loss of the fantasy. Yeah. She's driving there. She's imagining what's going to happen. She's like thinking he's going to take her backstage. They're going to make out. Like it's this whole fantasy that she's built up in her head. She gets there. It's a bowling alley. So she's already like, oh, this is not what I imagined. Yeah. First dent to the fantasy. She's looking around at these people at the bowling alley being very judgmental, which I'm kind of into, which is like, (laughs) oh, I'm seeing Americans through my French eyes. Like whatever. (laughs) So funny. I really love it. I love that she's like, couldn't I have even brushed their hair? (laughs) So good. Another dent in the fantasy. And then, yeah, and then to know that, oh, I'm actually not going to get to make out with Toph because he's with Bridget. And if she thought about it, she's actually not into Toph. She's just like telling herself that she is because this is just the story that she's been telling herself for ages. Yeah. But it's the loss of the fantasy. And sometimes that hurts more than anything else. It's just the idea that you had this, the loss of that idea that you had. Mm Mm-hmm is worse. Yeah, I agree. She she definitely built it all up in her mind. And I think that most of the letdown of like the fact that they're not at a club and they're at a bowling alley and like it's not really that exciting and they're the opening act and she's trying to be excited but also, you know, it's a little bit not as great as 
she thought it would be and so just she just keeps getting all of this like it's all coming at her at the same time and I think that's part of why the fight was so big right because it's like she's upset about everything that's happened that she's missed and I think the reason Bridget goes so hard is because she's actually been super resentful of Anna the whole time so she says Mm -hmm. some things that are really out of bounds I think like she says oh you ditched us and Anna's like they sent me away which is true she didn't ask to go to Paris she didn't want to go she's been saying the whole time I do not want to be here but I'm going to make the best of it because I literally have been left here by my parents. I just think it's a lack of communication. I think it's interesting that she says to Bridget, you know, it's talking hard. I'm talking Mm -hmm. right now. There's that line, right? I remember when she first emailed Bridget, she was like waiting for Bridget to email first because she had to, she wanted Bridget to think she's having this amazing time in Paris, blah, blah, blah. So every time they're talking, if it, whether it's on the phone, whether it's via email, they're both pretending to be happy and amazing because they can't be honest because then it would be like losing to the other person. So you have to pretend. So it's just a real lack of, of communication, of honest, open communication, which I guess is a youth thing. Like you've not, your friends are not your competition. They shouldn't be people that you perform with. They should be people that you are your most authentic self with. But I think also in that, it's not even the performing the good stuff. It's like performing the bad stuff. So they've called each other to complain. But Anna couldn't tell anyone about her Thanksgiving with Sinclair because it was a secret. And that was a huge deal to her last last section. She was like, oh, I can't really tell anyone. I can't even tell Bridget. But if she had told Bridget, Bridget would have had the opportunity to be like, well, actually, this weekend something happened between me and Toph as well. And that, like, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, what a missed opportunity. I wonder if she's also not so mad about the Toph thing because that's the only way that she can justify this crush she has on Sinclair. Yeah. You know, it's not real to her because Sinclair's got Ellie and she's got Toph. So it's okay. As long as she's got Toph, then they're on equal yeah. footing. But if she loses Toph, now Sinclair still has Ellie. You know, it's unequal. And she's sort of got nothing. Yeah, yeah. And she does feel that inequality, I think, when we when she's back in Paris. She starts to feel that a lot. I mean, there are some other transformations I thought really were, were really important. I think that the idea that Anna does feel like Bridget has stolen her life and then she comes back and Bridget has literally taken over her little brother's affections and then, like, the guy that she had a crush on and she doesn't need Anna in their social group anymore and, like, even Cherry Milliken is there now and, like, it feels like all these things are happening and she's not part of it anymore. So there's this transformation of, like, you have a life but it has gone on without you and she's just really mad about it. She's just mad because, again, Mm. she didn't ask for it. Yeah, which I agree with. Although I I think I've said previously that I think maybe Anna is a bit of an unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. because we're only seeing things through her eyes, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So she is perceiving these things. She perceives that Shawnee is like replaced her with Bridget and yeah he rejects her offer <laughs> in the previous section he doesn't want the Star Wars figuring because Bridget's already got one for him blah 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 but in this section he's really lovely to her and he's like oh was Bridget mean to you and she has to be like no you have to still be nice to Bridget yeah. because your mum doesn't have options for babysitters but I just wonder how much of that kind of reaction from her is projected because of her own insecurity because of her fear of being replaced so yeah. she's seeing this everywhere when maybe it's not actually even there yeah and she gets really upset about she gets really stuck on the idea that Toph was never interested in her anyway like she believes when Bridget Mm. says that and I don't know if that's true I kind of wanted to examine that like what what's your take on that I think Toph is a player and a dirtbag as previously said so I think he's into Anna when she's right in front of him I think when she's not around then he probably doesn't think about her yeah he did email and call a few times though so I feel like that's like non-zero effort yeah but I think that only happens because he's probably like bored and he's like oh I called this girl I don't know he doesn't strike me as a guy who's particularly active in his life so I think he likes her I do think he likes her See, that's what I think but too. I just don't think he would have made an effort 
I don't think he would tell Bridget that he liked Anna, though. And I think that's why Bridget's little snarky comeback of, oh, he was never really interested in you anyway, is not entirely accurate. It's just hurtful. And maybe Bridget believes it. But, like, if your boyfriend's like, oh, no, that girl I kissed? No, no. I know she's your best friend, but I was never really that into her. Like, you're going to believe your boyfriend because you really want it to be true. (laughs) You know, you're not going to examine it too closely, is my thought. I just wonder how invested, like, I don't know, I feel like I've known a lot of guys like Toph and I feel like he is basically just taking advantage of girls whenever he can and whether I would even call him Bridget's boyfriend is up for debate, quite frankly, like, sure. I'm just saying he's probably dating other girls. He seems pretty smitten with her if he's willing to, like, declare it on stage, which is pretty, yeah, that seems like, that seems like a together thing, but we don't really get much confirmation we just get Bridget desperately trying to call Anna for the rest of the section and Anna equally desperately ignoring anything to do with reconciliation or understanding or anything yeah see I just think that is like peak boy who's in charge of a band behavior I still don't really believe that is anything more than performance but like I said I've got my own prejudices against (laughs) boys like this no fair enough we've all we've all liked or dated a musician and it was usually a bad idea um, I think that they're, the people who really love Anna are all worried about her fight with Bridget. So her mom's like, mm. have, you, have you talked to her yet? And even Sinclair is like, have you spoken to her yet? He acknowledges that it's unpleasant, but like, have you talked to her? And Sean even asks, why aren't you talking to Bridget? Did she hurt your feelings? She made you cry. You cry all the time now. Like, he's worried about Anna too. So I love that all these people in her life, like they're so caring for her that they're worried about her undergoing this transformation, which is probably a negative one to ditch your bestie. Oh, just over a dumb boy. Good grief. Mm. I thought it was a couple of transformations of friendship, though. So you've got this thing with Bridget, obviously, but even Matt, you know, he's emerging more into the friend yeah. space. Like Anna says at the start of the section, we are on good terms, all these things. But I feel like he really steps up and is like, no, I want to be your friend. Like, I'm your friend. Even Cherry, I would say. Like, Anna has preconceived ideas about who Cherry is and what she's like, but she's there and she gives her a tissue and she's like present, you I know? I think Anna is super judgy about Cherry and I this is something I wanted to bring up to you is I think that you're right about her being an unreliable narrator I don't think Cherry is as bad as Anna thinks she is I don't think she's trying to be horrible I think she probably likes Anna and is really intimidated because Anna is very cool even though she doesn't feel like she's very cool yeah they're just different people right like you can still be friends with people who are different to you it reminds me again of the Princess Diaries you know when you've got Lana who is actively mean to Mia in the, the Princess Diaries but later in the series Mia and Lana become quite good friends and it's like yeah, you can be friends with people who are different to you, you know? I just think Anna doesn't realize how judgy she is and how mean she can be because she can be very mean. Like, she's really snarky about the fact that it's a bowling alley and that they're the opening act. And I do love how she's like, I'm ready to be excited. And then she's like, except Tove's playing is really terrible. That cracked me up. Yeah, that was funny when she's like, the weakest thing is actually Tove. I'm like, yeah, no, sure. <laughs> this band's never had a practice until Bridget joined, probably because no one else was making the effort. Like, Tove would be, he'd be a big talker and he'd be one of those people who never makes any effort. And then it's like, I don't understand why I wasn't famous. I was so amazing, but never did any yeah. work, you know? I think Bridget deserves better. That's my feelings on that. Yeah. Um, also another friendship that's transforming I think is obviously between Anna and Sinclair like it's becoming much deeper they're checking in on each other all the time calling all the time emailing it's it's very much moving on yeah like the ground that they lost over the period after Thanksgiving was like immediately recovered like Anna had this big upset and all of a sudden all the awkward weirdness is gone and they're just closer it's just it's a a really interesting phenomenon I don't think we see it a lot in fiction because 
you know, people like friendships to be linear. The only other real, like, insta-friendship that I can recall is in the Raven cycle when Blue is immediately folded into the group. That's mm. just, like, this is the same sort of jump of, like, not quite there, but then instantly best friends. But I really loved it because I loved how once she brought her problems to him, he was just like, oh, we're all in. Okay, this is it. We're best friends now. And he was immediately bringing his back to her. And she was like, I worried I crossed a line. And he's like, nope, I'm just going to be honest and tell you the thing. And it's just really good. Mm. Oh, there's also the physical transformation of Bridget, right? Like when she stands up behind yeah. the drum kit on page 226, Anna says, it's impossible, but she's taller yeah. than me now. So she's physically changed as yeah. well. Didn't she mention Bridget being like Anna but better in every way like she's taller she's toner she's blonder she's prettier she's more talented and now Anna's really feeling that <laughs> it's also just the switch right because literally not two pages before this fight she's talking about how proud she is of Bridget because I've always known how yeah. great she is and now everyone else can see it and she's my best friend and then she just flips and it's so dumb because it's over a dumb boy who's not even a good dumb boy is just a dropkick <laughs> I think we're supposed to think of him as a dropkick. Like, everyone thinks of him as a dropkick. But you're right. I think the fight is about Anna, who feels betrayed by everyone moving on with their lives, and also Bridget feeling betrayed by being left behind. So this is just a manifestation of that. But it's not actually about Toph, because Toph was never real for Anna. And if she paused for a moment, she would recognize that. But it's so hard when you're young. And this is where youth really came out to me. It's really hard when you're that upset and you're young, because you just want to, like, explode over everyone. I do wish Anna had just, like, left. Like, I just want her to have left rather than saying anything like even if she just left and didn't talk to Bridget but instead of having this huge fight the fight is always so hard for me to read because I'm like you could just you can't unsay any of this just leave and not say it and then think about it and then deal with it mm. but I was definitely a blurt first regret later kind of person as a teenager and it's a hard skill to grow out of for sure mm. Um, I thought that was a lovely moment of youth with her car being in the shop yeah. and then she has that whole exchange with her mum about the van. Yes, like, I'm not. And her mum on page 218 is like, well, Anna, it's Matt or the minivan. I'm not making the choice for you. <laughs> like, this mother is so done with everything going on in her life. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a moment with, with Anna's parents and a lack of transformation. Like, they keep pretending that their divorce was fine, and it really wasn't fine. And because of that, literally mm. everybody has to put up with their fighting and squabbling, and they're, like, not mature about it at all. And it made me really angry that Anna had this really terrible Christmas, and everyone was yelling and screaming, and, like, her brother tried to eat red dye number 40, and she saved him and got in trouble for making him cry, and, like, it just was, like, an awful day. And I just kind of wanted her parents to recognize, like, they have not recognized that they should not be in a room together. They're just not good at being in the same room together. And that's fine. Like, there's sometimes you fall out of love with someone and it gets really acrimonious, but just don't put yourself in the room together. It's okay. You don't have to. Yeah, don't pretend that you're you're fine. Like, that's the issue, right? It's just be honest about the situation. I just have a lot of thoughts about her dad. Like, why does he feel the need to rearrange their kitchen cabinets? He doesn't live there. I get that he's tidy and, like, fussy like Anna, but you can't, you can't do that to someone else's house, even if it used to be your house. Even just coming in to be judgmental about the green bean casserole and be like, oh, the kids don't eat their vegetables. Like, she's right. You weren't mm -hmm. there for your mm -hmm. children. You don't get to have an opinion now. Like, the mum is totally within her rights to be snarky. Yeah. Him. I would have kicked him out. They should have. I think they should have. And he has no idea who his kids are, right? Like, maybe he knows a little bit about Sean because he gets Sean good gifts. But Anna's like, I don't want this ring. Why are you giving me a gold ring? And then Sinclair teases her about it being a promise ring, which was pretty hilarious. 
Yeah, no, he doesn't really understand. He wants Anna to be something that, a prop in his yeah. life, right? That's how he treats her. Like, just this talking point that he can have with his friends. That's why he sends her off to Paris. And then, yeah, he doesn't bother to get to know her or help her or take any real interest in her. Yeah. And it's really frustrating because she sees that and she's aware of the fact that her dad isn't actually interested in anything she's doing. He's just interested in, like, making sure he she knows enough that he can show her off. Because, you know, he, he writes these books that get turned into films and she's really into film. So there's a natural synergy yeah. there. Like, he could really help her and help her develop that skill and help her, like, make connections and nepotism that up yeah. for her. And he's just not. He's, like, not helping. Like, what is the point of knowing someone famous if they're not going to help <laughs> you? And being subject to their terrible sweaters and horrible opinions and reorganization. Ugh. Hmm. I think my one of my favorite parts is when she's so, so histrionic and she says, take my life, you can have it. Just watch out for the part where my best friend screws me over. I know that that's meant to be this huge thing and it's such a good line, but it also cracks me up because like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you are a teenager. You are a teenager. Oh. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I saw like I immediately when she was saying to her what did she say what do you mean wreck your life like she's so dramatic you wrecked my life why because she's seeing this boy that you barely like <laughs> this is so dramatic i love a bit of drama but come on people yeah yeah this definitely feels like it's about way more than just like tof is just the window dressing for the actual event which is that shawnee likes bridget and bridget's doing really well and bridget's got these friends and like everybody's still talking about things that she's been doing and anna just feels like she has been forgotten and now she has to be stuck in this place for two weeks with these people who have moved on without her and she had built this fantasy mm -hmm. in her head of what those two weeks are going to be like and that is what she's mourning the loss of it's not the reality of Toph; it's the promise of him yeah and the fact that her best friend straight up lied to her that sucks like, that is something Bridget really should have figured out a way to say. Give her time to get used to it. Like, what did she think would happen? Toph is so not the kind of person to not say the dumb thing. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess she didn't expect him to announce it that way. Because she seems quite embarrassed by that. I would be embarrassed by that. Shut your mouth, Toph. That's not, that's personal. Yeah, I mean, it's not cool. But you would also think... What, did she think she was going to hide it from her the entire Christmas period? Or was she t intending to tell her? I don't know how she saw this as playing out. Yeah. But it really, like, it hurts me because when Anna first sees her, she says, you know, Bridge lights up like a Christmas, lights up like a Christmas tree. tree. She's so happy to see her. And then the whole thing just goes immediately horribly yeah. wrong. And she's already at the end of it, like she's trying to be done with Bridget. So she's like, maybe Sinclair is the new Bridget. And it's like, okay, calm down. You don't need to replace your friends. You can have more than one friend at a time. Best friend is not a person. It's a tear. Well, that's a lesson of adulthood as well, yeah, though, isn't absolutely. it? It breaks my heart that she's not willing to even hear Bridget out. Or like once she realizes it's not really about to, to kind of go, hey, I know I said some dumb things, but I think I'm really mad that you didn't tell me. Like, she just needed to be honest with her friend, and maybe they could have a dialogue about it, but yeah, it's just a rough time. She's got yeah. no bandwidth for it. All the empathy she's expending is outward to Sinclair because he's dealing with his dad and spending time with his mom who's really sick. Like, that's all that she can really focus on, which is lovely in a way, but yeah. she's gotta look out for herself, too. Gotta fill your own cup. Yeah, for sure. One cannot serve from an empty vessel. Um, did you have anything else for youth or transformation? I just thought with youth, the idea of her playing with Sean's Star Wars toys is quite funny. Like, she's having this great time and she keeps going even when he's, like, on the yeah, phone. Yeah. And then, of course, her reaction to Sean asking Sinclair if he was her boyfriend is so mm -hmm. useful. Get out of here. Stop it. <laughs> um, but that was it from me. 
It felt very realistic to having an annoying younger sibling. Shout out to my annoying younger siblings. We're all grown people now, but still. <laughs> um, I had some tangential ones that I would love to touch on. Mm-hmm. I thought one of the things that was, it wasn't really in the keeping of like a personal transformation, but I love how her car, she transformed all of her effort into money and then transformed her money into car. And it, like to her, mm-hmm. it's this very special, important thing. Because she's looked after it and she paid for it and she's named it. But to anyone else, it just looks like a hunk of junk metal. And I love how she even calls it like, it's my hunk of junk metal. Like, I love that ownership can create a transformation. Like, a thing can become more important because we manifest importance in it. Like, we make it Mm -hmm. something more than it is. So I kind of love that as a transformation. How about you? Did you have any tangential? No, I've already mentioned mine. I just want to talk about how judgy she is. (laughs) So when she's saying to Cherry, you know, and I think... All I can think is these people are your future. She's so She's mean. so mean. Like, sweetheart, you are also from Atlanta. Like, you are all from Atlanta. There's nothing wrong with being from Atlanta. It's a major city. And from the people I've met who so funny. are from there, they like it. It's a pretty cool city. She's just not self-aware enough, right? Like, she doesn't really know it yet. So I am, I own it. I am very judgy and I can be mm. very mean. But often I will say to people, like, I'll just say, I, I know, I'm self-aware. Like, I'm going to be really judgy. I'm sorry. I Like, I just can't help it. But I don't actually mean it. So it's fine. <laughs> it's fine if you're self-aware. It's nothing personal. I'm just evil to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that's something Anna is she's still trying to figure out who she is like she hasn't figured out that she wants to know where she fits in and belongs and she's feeling really like she doesn't right now so everything is a contrast like oh it's not this it's not this like that's that's where she's at it's also just the manifestation of her insecurities like she's judging these people really harshly because she worries that this is how people Mm -hmm. judge her especially in Paris this is the way that she thinks she is being perceived as an American and she's tried so hard not to be that and it's just now here and she's seeing all these people just living their lives in this bowling alley and she is projecting yet again projecting Mm. it's like Carrie and the scrunchie did you ever see that episode of Sex and the City? No she had this boyfriend who was the guy from Office Space and he wrote in his story about New York that the girl was wearing a scrunchie and she's like there's no woman in New York who would ever wear a scrunchie and he's like there's a woman right there wearing a scrunchie and so Carrie went over to him and was like excuse me what part of New York are you from and the woman was like oh hon how cute I'm from blah 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 Alabama and it was like this proving the point and then you know the boyfriend was really rude to her and they broke up anyway because it's Carrie and the only person that matters to her is big but I just remember that being like oh you just are judging someone based on something that actually has no meaning except to a very small group of people and that small group of people is you and that's kind of where Anna is at Anna has shifted her small group of people from film people to people that she interacts with in Paris who are American children in Paris like it's not actually Parisians Mm. it's like the art crowd at soap like she does have some like idea of like what people in Paris are like and that they're different than the people back home but her frame of reference has shifted and she hasn't really figured that out yet So she seems a lot meaner than she is, but she just really hasn't owned up to that. Like, oh, wait, I see things differently because I've lived in a different place now. Hmm. Um, I also really love the gourmet truffle and Mr. Goodbar comparison. I think Mr. Goodbar is lovely. It's a delightful chocolatey peanutty treat. So don't knock the Mr. Goodbars, Anna. I just love that she kept referring to Matt in her head as Mr. Goodbar is explaining. (laughs) I'm like, you've known this guy for years. You dated him. And now you're just being like, Mr. Goodbar. All right. So mean. She's very mean. I don't remember her being this mean, but. I'm kind of digging it. I love that she's got a bit of grumpiness. Did you have an in-depth for us? Oh, I do. So mine's really long because it's all the stuff that Matt says. So it's on pages 231 and 232. Um, Mm -hmm. And he says, listen, 
I know you don't want to talk about it. I just have this one thing to say before you go in there and cry yourself to sleep. Toph isn't a nice guy. He's never been a nice guy. I don't know what you ever saw in him. He talks back to everyone. He's completely unreliable. He wears those stupid fake clothes. I know you didn't like me as much as I liked you. I know you would have rather been with him, and I dealt with that a long time ago. I'm over it. It was still wrong of Bridge not to tell you, okay? You deserve better than that. And I love this for many reasons. So this is after the show. This is where... Matt has brought Anna home. She's had this conversation with Sinclair in the car. Cherry's like offered her this tissue. She's, you know, she's just like, I'm just going to go and hide out. I'm not going to talk to anybody. And Matt's sort of like, you're not going to talk to me. I'm your friend. Like, we're friends. So he actually stops her to tell her all of these things. And I think it relates to the theme because Matt has been Anna's friend. And then they dated. And now he's an ex. And she refers to him as her ex. But, like, he still thinks friend. So there's a bit of this transformation there mm-hmm. where, like, they're not quite on the same page of what their friendships mean to each other. But I really love that he misses her and he's trying to get through to her. Mm. Like, he's he's telling her, we were friends, then we dated, and now I want us to still be friends. Like, we are friends and I'm telling you this as a friend. I also think that the youth shows up in the mm-hmm. way that he is kind of navigating his youth really brilliantly like he's very mature about it and I love that he's giving Anna this like other perspective you know he's saying what he needs to say he's not going to say anything to be cruel but he's saying it because he needs to clear the air and I actually really think that it's a great example for Anna because she's acting in a very young and immature way not in a very young and mature way so I think Matt's kind of like gold at this point but he's also really angry on her behalf like he is really mad that Bridget didn't say anything and basically if he knew that Anna liked Toph then Bridget definitely knew and he knows that that's not on so it reminds me of you know when I was in high school I had a friend and she started dating a guy and they started getting to various bases now I don't know what the base system is but they were definitely playing some kind of baseball if you get my drift (laughs) and she told me way afterward and it just felt really terrible not that I needed to know all the details but the fact that it was even happening at all and we were supposed to be really close I just felt Mm. like I'd been left out of something and it really did feel like a huge betrayal and it was kind of like when I decided to consciously start pulling back and then we stopped being friends and you know and I've also been in Anna's shoes where I've done really dumb things and said really dumb things and always over a really dumb voice I think going forward I know that being a teenager is really difficult, and I'm super glad it's behind me, but I think that whenever you have a relationship with anyone, when you're figuring it out for the first time, the best thing you can do is try and have grace and try and remember that if you do need to clear the air, you can do it without being cruel, like Matt does for Anna. You can say what you need to say, but you don't have to be hurtful, and that's a really fine line to walk sometimes, but it's really important to do, so yeah, just going to remember that. Mm. Loving people is complicated and hard. Yeah. And it's definitely something that comes with age. The more you, the older you get, the better you come. Well, that's not even true. Like, loads of people get to be in the 60s, 70s if some of my relatives are any indication and just can't have those conversations in a productive way. So, yeah, some people maybe go it's backwards. not even an age thing. It's definitely a growth mindset thing, yeah. Being willing to learn and change and accept differences in people. It's a hard one. Very important. Good to remember. Thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. Uh, How about you? Did you have in-depth marginalia? I do. So mine is when Sinclair has called Anna and they're spending New Year's Eve talking, first watching the Atlanta countdown, then the San Francisco one, and it's yet again, I think, maybe the second to last paragraph of this section. So page 248. I miss Paris, but it's not home. It's more like I miss this, this warmth over the telephone. Is it possible for home to be a person and not a place? Bridget used to be home to me. Maybe Sinclair is my new home. So I think it fits the theme of transformation. It's a concept that's undergoing change because Anna is also changing and the idea of herself and what she wants is transforming, but also Mm. how she views the world is transforming. And I think 
that is part of youth, right? Like learning and growing while we transform our ideas about ourselves and the world. That is what growing up is. It's yeah. like allowing yourself that space. So long-time listeners to the pod will know that I have struggled with the concept of home for a long time. I am an immigrant twice over and I have long struggled to place myself in the world and even struggled to know how to answer the question when people ask me where home is. Um, I used to joke that home is where my dog is, but you know, she's not with us anymore. Oh. But my parents still are. And so like... They're home to be, but home is not where they physically live. So like Anna, I've come to the conclusion that home is where my people are. Like, I don't care about the physical place. Wellington is home to me, but not because of the city, really. Like, I like Wellington. But the reason I've decided to make my home here is because of the support network that I have. Like, mm. I've cultivated a really good group of friends, people who care about me. And that's what makes it feel like home. Thinking about it, I think the times that I've been homesick in my life, it was never about the place. It was about the people. Like, I miss the people. Yeah. That's what you remember. Like, you think, I remember being homesick for Sydney when I lived in London. And it wasn't so much about Sydney. I love Sydney. But it was, like, remembering the things I used to do with my friends in certain places. And the same when yeah. I was, like, moving, when I had to leave London and I was homesick for London. It wasn't about London itself. It was about, you know, I would think about sitting on Frank's couch, for example, or going out to a pub with a friend or something like that. It was about the social interaction rather than the place. Yeah. And I think what I've realized recently, I've started to think about home as something inside of myself too. Like, it's something I carry with me within myself, which is a sense of where I came from. It's a love for my friends and my family. But it's also a pride of myself, like who I am and what I believe in. I am a home in myself, which is weirdly comforting in a way to think that I carry that with me. So going forward, I think I just want to cherish the people who make me feel loved and supported and who make my life better. I have this amazing support network of wonderful humans like you. Hmm. Um, and I truly value all of them. And I, because I feel so secure in that, because I feel so secure in this love and support, I think that's what has allowed me to really grow into myself and find a strength and resilience that would have been unthinkable to me even five years ago, right? Yeah, I'm going to tell the people that I love that I they matter to me because I appreciate them, even though it makes a lot of my Kiwi friends very uncomfortable because they're not <laughs> into that sort of like over-the-top emotion. But yeah, finding your people is such a wonderful thing mm. and I really just wish that for everyone. Aww. I really, really love that. And I think it's amazing to be able to make your own home within yourself as well. I mean, if you had to sit me down and ask me what home is, I'm like, my kids and my partner, that would be the like number one thing that like my nuclear family because I literally have built my home with them. Mm. I'm okay on my own, but I really prefer to be with them, you know? Yeah. Thanks, Jen. That's really beautiful. Also, you don't have to have only one best friend. I just want everybody who's maybe worried about that right now to just go and watch The Mindy Project and take to heart that best friend is a tear and not a person. It's just leveling up. Yeah. I worry that when people hear about like finding your tribe or finding your people, I don't mean finding like a clique or a, a particular, I don't know, like an art scene or something. Sometimes that works. For some people, that's enough. Like some people will find community within one particular sense of community. That's not my experience. My network is broad and I have different friends who are into very different things and oh, yeah. it was very stressful when I put them all together for my citizenship party because I'm like these people <laughs> I don't know how this is gonna go this could be a disaster so, you know, be open yeah yeah I just think be open to different people and you might on the surface have nothing in common but you'll find that they are the most important people who will have your back when you think no one will and that's what's really 
I think that's what's really allowed me to blossom into myself and like get the sense of home within myself is because I know that I have people who are going to love me unconditionally, even though we are nothing alike. I am just secure in that knowledge. Yeah. And that's the power. Your network doesn't have to be an interconnected web of people. It can be you being the hub and them being the spokes. Like that's totally valid too. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of friendships actually are. I think the idea of having a great big friend group, like in community, for example, is something that we all want, but isn't actually something that happens for a lot of people it's a very particular set of circumstances i think that lead to something like that and that's just not the reality of how most of us live our lives Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i mean usually that happens at school or uni right where when you're all doing the same classes or course or degree and Mm. i mean or if you work in a place where you all work together for long enough yeah definitely something to ponder Mm. thanks jen uh do you have a character you want to spotlight Yeah, I was kind of tossing up between two, so I might do both of them and be Mm -hmm. cheeky. So I kind of wanted to spotlight Sinclair because I think he's actually just being a really good friend to Anna. Like, he's got his own stuff going on. Like, his mum's going through this horrible thing. He has to deal with his dad, who's not very nice to him or Mm. a nice man in general. But he is still there for Anna, and he's checking in on her and, like, making sure she's okay, which I think is great. Like, great friending, Sinclair. Good job. But I also wanted to spotlight Anna's mum because <laughs> she is having a horrible time. This is a horrible Christmas and having to sit there and listen to her ex-husband just being really mean and also like mm. getting his opinions and fingers and everything where it shouldn't be and just being very unhelpful. You know, like that's horrible. Like it would definitely have pushed me over the edge. And I just think she's already a single mum having to deal with a lot of things. She's got a lot going on, a lot of stress. She doesn't need this. Yeah. It's unnecessary. So... You know, Christmas can be stressful, and I just wanted to recognize that. Thanks for spotlighting Anna's mom as well. I think she really had a hard time. It's not like as a parent yeah. of a daughter, I can say now that, you know, definitely there are times when I can see my kid being like annoyed by me, and I'm like, oh no, it's beginning. <laughs> but you still love your kid even when they're a rat bag. And she's doing okay, but yeah, she deserves a break too. Christmas should be her relaxing time. It shouldn't be like, oh gosh, this child is here against their will, counting down the days so they can leave me again. That's I think fun. you just get a really strong sense from her mum that her her lack of patience is mostly due to exhaustion. Yeah. And just having to do a lot. Like, she's pulling a lot and she doesn't really have time to mollycoddle or be very accommodating to Anna's, like, dramatics because she's got so much going on, yeah. which is fair. You know, like Anna doesn't see that, but I think we can see that from the outside. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. 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 Like Anna's mom is just like, just call your friend. It'll be so much more sensible if you just call her and deal with it. And it's like, no, we'll just done. take the minivan. Like what? Yeah. yeah. Why are you making this such a big deal? Like, <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Like, anyway. Yeah. Oh, the d- just make your own choice. <laughs> <sighs> um, Who would you like to spotlight this week? Um, I am going to spotlight Matt because he not only was he like, we're going to have this conversation, which is very difficult, but he did things like he carried her shoes and he's like, oh, I forgot Mm -hmm. that you were weird about germ stuff, but he didn't like make fun of her for it. He was just like, oh, I forgot and then did the thing that she needed to be done, which I thought was really nice. Like he Mm -hmm. has a really strong code of like what is right and what is wrong. And I think he's just willing to do what needs to be done. And as a person who's also the willing one, I really appreciate when I see it in fiction. So well done, Matt. You're a good egg, and I think you should keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, he's really great in this. I agree. Good spotlighting. Yeah, and I love that Anna did feel, like, very ashamed that she was like, oh my gosh, he knew the whole time. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, it was nice of him to be like, yeah, I know you didn't like me as much, but I'll, I dealt with it. Like, that's the way to be, dudes. That's the way to be. Just move on. Yeah. Well, next week, we're going to be reading chapters 30 through 34 through the theme of attractions. So that should be pretty exciting. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. It'll be great. I can't wait. Yeah, thank you so much. This was lovely. It was really good. And you look amazing, by the way. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel like I've been fishing for compliments. Not what I meant to I do. I just can't help it. You look great. But I've I'll got to tell them. you every five seconds how cute you are. You're adorable. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> All right. See you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen B, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginalia Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.